following program is sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Homebridge Financial Services. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. Each week, Team Reba will be bringing you a roundup of real estate and mortgage news, along with information about the local Puget Sound region, highlighting some of the best and brightest entertainment options, family events, neighborhood highlights, and local business interviews, so you can feel right at home in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome once again to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass of Team Reba, Remax Metro Eastside. Happy weekend, and I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And if he sounds like he's faintly distant from me, it's because he's calling in remote today. Calling in remotely, which yes. I could say is in some exotic location. I wish I was just uh, working remotely. <laughs> I miss it. You know how I've got that other like business thing going on. I, I totally want to be working remotely right now, but the you know the winds uh, lately have not been my friend when I want to go. <laughs> so boy, that's putting it lightly. There's been some. Serious big wind going on out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, major oh, gales. So. Oh yeah. No, yeah. It's uh, a lot of damage along the coastline. You know, from some of these storms, you combine a, a king tide with heavy winds, and mm-hmm. uh, boy, oh boy, then you you uh, can really appreciate the power of that water out there. Oh, absolutely, else. absolutely. I think uh, we already let our listeners know what fun I had on Labor Day in 2020 with uh, some six-foot swells, and I don't really feel like uh, replaying that. Um, And then, of course, you know, actually, Eric, uh, listeners, sorry, we're going to do a little personal talk here. You know the book, we had Chris Lundgren on our show a little while back, one Mm -hmm. of my past clients, but who is the author of Accidental Adventures Alaska. And I I just finished her book. Did you finish it yet? I haven't yet. No. Yeah. Well, so second chapter was about, uh, you know, a boating incident um, where mm-hmm. the guy's in like 14 foot swells. Right. And that that was already yeah. terrifying yeah. enough. But there's another chapter later in the book. I, I love how she gives this um, variation of scenarios because there's an avalanche story. And then there's somebody out on a kayak that is now getting oh. like sucked out to sea. And it oh, was. Boy. Yeah. And he gets dunked. A co- it's like. Just it was actually fairly riveting to to listen or not listen, but to to read it and be like imagining the scenario, and um, yeah. So it was it, it was also um, very telling too because um, not only I'm going to tie this into something here for our listeners because we always talk about like the Pacific Northwest lifestyle and whatnot and things that people do. That's right. So in this in this story in her book. Um, the guy ends up getting dunked twice in his kayak and they end up being saved um, because some another small boater, uh, like a powerboat, sees them. They radio for help. A state ferry sends out a crew, which, of course, they can't bring them in on their kayaks. And so there's three kayaks and four people because there's a double and two singles. And the small uh, powerboat is kind enough to pick up their kayaks for them. And, mm-hmm. and take them in. But a lot of stuff got dumped in the meantime, right? And so they're at of shore course. and there's all this stuff like coming ashore that had dumped out of their kayaks. And it just so happens that recently a notice came out. If you haven't seen it and you are somebody, and this is not just for boaters. This is for anybody in the Pacific Northwest region. If you have a stand-up paddleboard, if you have a kayak, you have some kind of personal watercraft, um, the Coast Guard has sent out a notice now saying, please label your contact information on your craft. 
because they mm-hmm. sent out a notice stating how many man hours and the cost associated with them. Because if somebody sees one of these floating, they have to act as though there is a life at risk. That's right. And they have to launch, you know, a search. So it's really, really important, listeners, that if you, because there's there's more and more people, like we've mentioned on the show, not only are people buying more boats, but they're buying all these other personal watercraft that are, you know, getting out there and doing stuff. And these winds, especially with small little craft like that, can easily get that stuff, you know, off of a beach or off of a tie or whatever it is. And off it goes. <laughs> well, it happens so, all the time. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I was involved in a, a rescue a couple of years ago out in uh, Puget Sound off of Point Robinson off of Maury Island and where two kayakers were way out there in a absolutely nasty, rough, rough, you know, water day. And um, why they were out there, mm-hmm. I, I really don't I really don't know. But but, yeah, I mean, it was the same thing. Uh, Coast Guard came out about the same time as me. They. They got the people out of the water, and I got their kayaks. But um, it's one of those things where, um, boy, use some common sense, you know. And, yeah. and if you don't have the skills to get back into your kayak, if it flips, mm-hmm. um, you know, then don't go out. Yeah. And, you know, that should be and, something that you should be practicing. Yes. And that was know, moral to, of the to, story in Chris's book was this couple and their friends had actually been – told by a parent whose place they were going to stay at hey it's this month it's august it's not a good time to be going out where you're going and they were dumb enough to go do it anyway and so it became one of those i told you so stories yeah right Right. so thankfully no life was lost but it got close this guy was getting hypothermic and there was a lot of other issues and you know, but but you're right. We actually, um, and part of why I'm bringing some of this stuff up too, because uh, I've just clearly got it on my mind. Um, Arba. So for any of our listeners who happen to also be boaters and kayakers and stand-up paddle boarders, we want to bring your attention to an organization called the Recreational Boating Association of Washington. And I'm working to get mm-hmm. them to come on the show right now mm-hmm. um, because it's so key. Again, Pacific Northwest Lifestyle and some of the most amazing reasons about why we think this is such a, a wonderful place on earth. Um, they are, they're launching a conservancy aspect of what they do. And Arba represents all of us in Olympia, you know, for those of us who are into any of that kind of stuff. And then they're working with other organizations to, I believe it's uh, Lake Haven is the name of it, mm-hmm. um, that they are going to be, purchasing and redeveloping that site in South Puget Sound, which is going to be a peninsula. Correct. And it's going to be outstanding. So I sat in on their annual meeting that they just had recently uh, via zoom for membership. And um, as you know, uh, Eric, I'm a member of Rainier Yacht Club and we're the first yacht club to make it compulsory to be a member of Arba as part of our membership dues. And it's only $20. It's only $20 to be a member. It's totally worth it's, it. Um, that's money well spent because mm-hmm. they are advocating on behalf of all boaters. And they—it's not a fly-by-night company, a no. organization. They've been around a long, long time, mm-hmm. many, many years. Yeah. So no, that's a that's a great organization. Yeah. So I'm good. Yeah. I'm I'm excited because I want to get them on talking about you know their new plans and what's coming up and the things that they're doing. 
uh, because there's some really outstanding uh, elements, in, including asking that you know those excise taxes, of which there are more of them now because more boats are selling, um, that they are funneled towards things that actually you know help boaters. You know, mm-hmm. so um, there's a lot of other uh, good elements out there, and then plus also trying to bring the pump outs back. Um, right. Because as we know, that got kind of slashed, even though there was federal funds paying for that. The state, the person who was you know running that program or who took over that program, I should say, uh, put the kibosh on it for goodness knows whatever reason, considering it was all about making sure that we had, you know, clean waters out there for our salmon and, um, you know, all the the pods locally for orca. So, um, yeah, kind of a, kind of a nutso thing. Like who, who wants any of that stuff dumped out in, you know, Puget Sound. But, uh, anyway, so we're, that's my plug for the day, you know, <laughs> and I will say I'm also plugging for, um, things that are coming up because, uh, you know, this is pre-holiday you and I doing this show, but we mm-hmm. have holiday things coming up, and I want people to be thinking about it because here's one of the other things that I think is um, kind of fun that's coming up, and this kind of has to do with both housing as well as lifestyle. Um, many people have been hearing in the news that there is an organization called the Friends of Seward Park who are trying to ban the overnight um, you know, being able to anchor out in Andrews Bay by Seward Park. And I will say there is a contingency of the kind of Seattle and Lake Washington based yacht clubs that is intending to have one of our lighted boat cruises uh, make a goodwill effort to the folks in the Seward Park area in Andrews Bay. Because many people don't know that around the entire Puget Sound region, it's primarily the yacht clubs who have been organizing and putting on all of these really fun lighted boat cruises every year. And it's, it's something that's unique to our area. And even though like Jean Coulon Park, City of Renton is not going to do their typical lighted display and what have you, for those people who still can see the lake or have access perhaps um, in some format, we're going to still do that. You know, Rainier Yacht Club is doing ours. We have two of them, one of them on December 4th coming up in the evening around 7 o'clock. And then we're also doing the one on December 12th where we're going to do a different route than we normally, because normally we do this with Argosy Cruises, and we're going to do a different route meeting up with some other yacht clubs and, um, you know, showing, you know, goodwill as well as something fun and interesting that for people on the shore or with households that have, you know, the ability to see that still keeping some of those traditions alive. I was with you um, last year. Yes. We had a, a group out and, and mm-hmm. cruised to clear over to Kulan Park and yes. flip on the lights there. And mm-hmm. I was amazed at how many people were on the shoreline watching that, that parade of boats, which was probably yeah. 30, 40 strong. There was a lot of boats out there. Yes. But but now what what's that got to do with the Friends of Seward Park? Though? Because they're, they're, they're trying to because... they're trying to cancel the anchoring in Andrews Bay, which is Seward Park. Mm-hmm. And so right, we're because, trying because there's certain groups that in the summertime get out of hand. Right. And what we're trying to show is if you're part of a yacht club, you're usually making an oath for good seamanship, which means you're not that group. Like we shouldn't Mm -hmm. be penalized for a few bad actors. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to show is like, Hey, 
we're talking amongst our organizations and making sure our people don't become that problem. But mm-hmm. don't don't yeah. try and cancel out for everybody else something that's available to them and, and should have a rights to still do. So anyway, we're going to talk about rights of other things once we get back from these messages because we have a guest with us, Ryan Weatherstone, who is a local attorney, and we're going to be talking about eviction moratoriums just like being booted out of Andrews Bay. We'll be right back after these messages. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1590. The Answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes. I'm with Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And I'm Reba Haas from Team Reba. And we're here every Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock bringing information on real estate and finance, our local markets, and lots of important topics. Yes. And we're also available on Sundays from 3 to 4 p.m. and all the time on podcast. That's right. Stitcher, Spotify, Buzzsprout, you name it. iTunes. She knows us. Oh, yes. Alexa knows us. So does iTunes. So, yes, you can find us. Just look for Open House with Team Reba. We have over 190 episodes so far and uh, more coming your way every week. But um, so I can't wait to get it. So we ended up the last segment with me kind of joking about being booted out of Andrews Bay with boats was kind of like evictions. (laughs) <laughs> during, a, during a pandemic. I know they're not completely related, but they're slightly. Um, but to that end, we have on the phone with us uh, Ryan Weatherstone from Puckett and Redford Attorney or Law Offices. Uh, thank you again for coming to join us, Ryan. No, no problem. No problem. So we thought uh, because, well, why don't you just remind us because listeners of this show may have not met you from our prior show and maybe they'll want to go back and listen to you on our podcast programming but can you give a quick rundown of who you are the firm you're with and what kind of uh, work you're typically involved in sure so i'm ryan weatherstone i am an attorney here in seattle that deals primarily with residential and commercial landlord tenant law Um, we tend to deal with larger companies and and corporate entities um, although we do have a lot of referrals for uh small uh, or mom and pops that have maybe one or two rentals, we tend to focus more on uh, on the larger corporate clients. So large apartment buildings, does that, is that inclusive there? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, All right. What we don't do is necessarily is the, you know, if you have one or two properties, that's not, we mm-hmm. don't deal a lot with that, but we do, I know plenty of attorneys, if anybody has any needs. Or okay. If someone needs like independent, you know, questions answered and things like that. Well, because the main thing that we wanted to have you on about today is, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, we've had, you know, issues around, uh, and I don't say issues in the term, like people are like, oh, issues. It's it, it's just a reality that there are eviction moratoriums because a lot of people have lost jobs uh, in this economy and they've just again with Governor Inslee calling another like uh, short period of you know rolling us back. Um, there's going to probably be more uh, people back to the not working, and so um, it just so happened we already had you scheduled to come on to talk about eviction moratoriums, and we're like, well. Those might actually get extended even further than the end of the year that they're currently scheduled for. But can you explain to our listeners, uh, if they're not very familiar with what's been going on with that so far? 
Sure. So around mid-March, the governor issued the first moratorium, and what it did is it prohibited landlords from evicting tenants for non-payment of rent and most other issues unless there is a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others. Um, that has been expanded to a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others or property in certain cities. Seattle is excluded from that. You, you can't evict somebody for damage to property in Seattle. But outside of Seattle, you are able to do that if there's substantial destruction happening, happening at the property or if the tenants are creating a substantial health or safety hazard for other residents. When, when you say health and safety hazard to other residents, what falls into those categories? It's going to need to be significant and immediate. So a lot of the cases that we have taken on since March have been assaults with a weapon or assaults that have uh, resulted in an arrest. Okay. Um, some of the issues, we've also taken on some, some cases where there's been substantial property damage. Uh, mm-hmm. due to a, a, and to be honest with you, there's, being cooped up has has triggered some uh, some mental health issues for some people, I think, at this yes. point. And so yeah, we have seen a, lightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. a dramatic increase in the number of, of, I would say, non-non-payment cases, cases where there are behavioral issues. Um, so we have dealt with a lot of uh, assaults, stabbings, and I hate to say it, but we've also dealt with a few murders. And so, oh, my gosh. Um, um, it... Those are going to qualify for a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others. Okay. One of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, well, I, I don't want to stop your line of thinking. I, I'll, I'll throw this in when it's more appropriate, I think. But go ahead, please. Okay. One of the things, one of the more common questions that I get is what about smoking? Because smoking mm-hmm. can have effects upon other people, whether it is marijuana smoke or whether it is cigarette smoke, it can mm-hmm. have an effect upon other people. Right. The way the governor's moratorium is written, um, it could potentially be considered a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others, but the attorney general's office is requiring affected tenants to go ahead and get a doctor's letter. So okay. smoking in itself, while it is dangerous, they haven't determined that it is significant and an immediate threat unless there's a doctor's okay. associated with that. So like especially people who might be dealing with COVID that are having lung issues or somebody who's got asthma or some other potential issue maybe around those kinds of things might need to be contacting their doctor perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just, it's so funny. I just, just the night before we had this episode here, uh, I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine who happens to work in real estate in Oregon. She's uh, recently moved from the Portland area out to Bend. And strangely enough, Ryan, she's dealing with an issue. <clears throat> she's not sure if this is a person who's paying their rent or not, but there is a person in her, her building that there is the concern of an immediate like safety threat because there's a, a gentleman who's in the middle of the night, like at two in the morning or four in the morning or midnight, starts going off into these huge rants, uh, tons of swearing and a lot of things I can't repeat here on the air um, because it's it's also threats of violence to women. And there's at least five single women who live on the same floor of this guy in this apartment complex. And one woman in particular, he is started putting his attention on her and leaving like notes under her door and like little presents 
and such, and she's freaked out. And so they're starting to record, and I mean, they're having to tell the other tenants, look, we have a case open with the police department, but until he actually hurts someone, we can't do anything. I mean, is that what you're seeing as well here? We are seeing a lot of people that that would not that would normally not get themselves into this situation that are starting to fall into that. Um, okay. A lot of it is doing to be it's doing to being cooped up for a long time. We're seeing a lot of a lot of behavior that that we wouldn't normally see mm-hmm. in this type of situation where he's yelling at the top of his lungs at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's waking up the whole floor. And the unfortunate aspect that it's not considered a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others. It right. is definitely an annoyance. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to COVID, it would have definitely been something that we would have been able to bring in, bring a lawsuit for for an eviction. Um, during, because of the governor's moratorium of significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others, it doesn't quite meet that that threshold. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and well, the attorney general's office has, has been the one enforcing that or enforcing the um, the moratorium. Hey, Ryan, um, one other one other question for you. What about um, unauthorized uh, tenants? I know of of one couple situations where you know the the lease was made out to one person, and now all of a sudden there's eight people you know living living in the apartment, and um, you know, it, it seems like almost impossible for the landlord to document who's there permanently, who's just visiting, because they're all well prepped and say, "Oh, I'm just visiting." Um, is that are there are there other stipulations where where the lease could be, you know, deemed, um, you know, um, uh, abused and and move forward, or the evic- the moratorium's the moratorium, period. Well, that's a that's an interesting situation that you brought up because we were dealing with that issue a lot prior to October fifteenth. Um, the the governor's new proclamation came out on October fifteenth. Um, one of the concerns that it did have is people who did not have the right to be in a unit we couldn't evict them out of because of the moratorium. Uh, so the governor did change the proclamation to allow squatters to be evicted. Uh, through the court process, so long as there is not an authorized occupant still remaining in the unit. So if you okay. had somebody who brought in five people, then that original tenant vacated and left, and none of the other tenants had a right to be there, we could bring an eviction action on that so long as every authorized tenant has left. Oh, okay. But if the original tenant's still in there, then it's kind of out of luck. Yeah, that would be – normally that would be a, a – 10-day complier vacate notice to go ahead and remove unauthorized occupants, but due to the moratorium, mm-hmm. it does not create a significant and immediate threat to the health and safety of others. And so we, up until about October 15th, we were not able to bring any actions for that. The governor did clarify in his most recent uh, proclamation that this particular proclamation is not intended to protect those type of situations. So we have been successful in bringing cases at this point for, uh, for squatters. Interesting. Hey, one other question for you, and uh, kind of another situation I have. Actually, one of my employees owns a, a, a rental rental property. A tenant moved in just before COVID and uh, did not um, promise to pay on the security deposit. You know that whole six month pay it pay it forward mm-hmm. thing with Seattle, and of course <laughs> never never actually paid the security deposit. Um, this person is gainfully employed, never lost her job or anything like that. But just as flat out said, I'm I'm not I'm not going to pay the rent. Um, Ooh, I, 
I'm assuming same situation, you know, or is there anything that could be done for something in that situation? Of course, you know, my, my employees, you know, struggling having to make the mortgage payment and having not received rent for going on nine months now. And I want to make Um, sure and point out since both of you guys are calling in, we have about a minute to answer that or at least get started on the answer. And we may have to go into the next segment on the rest of it. Go ahead, Ryan. I'll try to be, I'll try to be pretty brief. Um, So Regarding non-payment of rent, that is not a reason to go ahead and issue uh, uh, any type of termination notice, nor is failure to pay the deposit. Um, that's unfortunate because it does have a high, it has more significant impact on the type of mom and pops that only have one or two, one or two units. So I would like to talk about this a little okay. bit more, and so I think we could probably do that after the break. Yeah, let's definitely do that because there are a number of questions that we want to continue peppering you with, if you don't mind. And we're so glad that you're here because it's really, really timely information, Ryan. So it's uh, just coming up on a quick little break for us here at Open House with Team Reba. Stay with us and learn more from Ryan Weatherstone at Puckett and Redford about eviction moratoriums. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1590. The answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass of Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side. And I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial. And we've got Ryan Weatherstone with us with uh, Puckett and Redford. Uh, and really happy to have you on the on the show with us today, Ryan. Uh, before the break, we were talking about kind of one of my situations with one of my employees who has a a, um, a home, you know, rental home. And the um, tenant moved in and basically never paid the deposit and never paid the rent. I know you've got some things to add, you know, to that, but I also want to know, is there any recourse, you know, that my, that the landlord has, you know, for somebody like this, that's working and gainfully employed and just flat out refusing to pay once this whole moratorium is lifted. And so under the governor's moratorium, he does make it very clear that if you can pay the rent, you absolutely should pay the rent. Um, A lot of people do rely on on that rent, whether it is uh, maintenance workers, um, uh, uh, property managers, or mom and pops that need to go ahead and pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So if a tenant can pay the rent, the governor's moratorium does suggest that they do so. Uh, But like I said, that's only a suggestion. That is not uh, necessarily a warrant to go ahead and do that. So, Isn't it interesting what we're learning about the character of people right now? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, there are some people that, you know, that, that have fallen on hard times because of COVID, whether it's through job loss or, 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 or other circumstances. Oh, 100%. And there are some that just haven't. And, and, and it, those who have not fallen on these hard times that are not making the rent are having an impact on others. And it, it, it's sad, and I'm a little bit disappointed that the governor's moratorium hasn't addressed that or hasn't mm-hmm. tried so, to get more information on that. So to Eric's question – because I, I have a scenario I'm going to give you as well here in a minute, but um, can that landlord be accruing those losses and then eventually take that person to court after the moratoriums are lifted, especially if it can be proven that that person was still working? Potentially. Um, okay. What the governor's moratorium states is that any rent that uh, it occurred after February 29th, 2020, um, is not considered an enforceable debt unless the landlord offers the tenant a reasonable repayment plan based on the tenant's individual health and financial circumstances. So oh, wow. if, let's say you had a huh. tenant that hasn't paid since April. Okay. Uh, 
and there maybe say ten thousand dollars in the hole. Uh, that's not going to be considered a collectible debt after the moratorium is lifted unless the landlord offers them a reasonable repayment plan based on their individual financial and health circumstances. So one of the th first steps you're going to want to do is reach out to the tenant to say, what are your individual health and financial circumstances mm -hmm. so that we can get together a payment plan that works for you? Um, that will make the debt collectible if the tenant fails to go through on it. Well, what do you do in a situation like that where – you want to just get this person, you know, out of there as, as soon as you can. You know, once this moratorium is lifted, I'm guessing that the number of evictions will go up fairly significantly for circumstances like that. You know, of course, not everybody falls into that situation where they're blatantly abusing the rule. You know, like you mentioned, so many people are just really been crushed by this this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But let's say it's somebody that's, that's actively abusing it. Um, you know, they get evicted after the moratorium is lifted. Um, you know, I, I imagine the odds of, of getting an individual health and financial, you know, wellness type assessment is going to be near, next to impossible. Um, do you yeah, how do you get it? I mean, do you anticipate some sort of a avenue to, to address that? Well, we've, we've had discussions with the Attorney General's office on what to do in this type of situation. What if a tenant doesn't respond to you after you reach out to them trying to either propose or have them propose a reasonable repayment plan? If they ghost you, if they do not respond to you, the government has, or not the government, but the AG's office has said that, um, you know, that you at least offered them the plan and that may make the debt collectible. Ultimately, it's going to come down to a judge to determine whether or not you offered a reasonable repayment plan. Um, I love so much that you use the term ghosting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is such a serious subject, but that is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> For any of our, okay, I just have to say real quick, Ryan, for some of our listeners, if you don't know what ghosting is, it means you reach out to somebody, you never hear from them again. So just FYI. <laughs> some people have no idea what that term means, kind of like catfishing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm guessing that if there's a significant amount of rant out, you're going to get ghosted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. one of the good aspects about this is we're starting to see more government help come in. Um, okay. So that's what we actually expect to happen after, either after the moratorium lifts or after uh, the legislature gets back into session. Is we, I expect to see some type of rental relief programs where landlords can, be, can get some of this money that is passed due in its, you know, from their tenants. We already have a couple of programs that are out there right now. And the state is thinking about going through a mandatory mediation um, process for, you know, for people impacted by COVID um, or who haven't paid their rent through COVID. There are programs out there right now that will go ahead and pay a percentage of the rent if the landlord agrees to go ahead and waive the remaining balances. How does somebody find what those programs are? They can usually go onto a state website or King County's website um, there's the EDRP program, which I don't know what that stands for, but that is a program that is run by a few charities where the charities state that you need that they will pay, let's say the tenant owed $10,000. Mm -hmm. Charity will state that, you know, we'll pay you $7,500. You have to go ahead and forgive the remaining balance. Okay. I'm looking that up actually as we're talking. So, because I, I do know of cases um, where there has been rents. Um, paid 
you know, or a portion of rent paid. In fact, actually, I have it's a, a different state altogether than Washington, but I have rental property in Kansas, and one of my tenants is going to a local charity um, because they're in between work right now, and they have been getting their rent uh, from a program locally. So, um, okay, so I'm looking at the – I'm not sure if this is it. Uh, EDRP might be the – EC Council Disaster Recovery. I'm going to be looking for that while we're still talking because there's a whole bunch of different things that are spelled out with EDRP, unfortunately. <laughs> so we'll, we'll figure it out. And when we have this show posted, we'll put it all together with it. But um, okay, so so there are programs out there. We'll try and find some of those resources for our listeners and get them available for everybody. Um, but it's interesting. You're talking about mediation. Um I'm just curious, and, and Eric, maybe this is something we go ask Mike Olden over at ARC about. I mean, because I mean, when I think about when when this person eventually is possibly even evicted, and then they go and try and find another place to live, how is this going to show up when they try and find a new place, or does it? I believe in the city of Seattle, they're going to have a mandatory. Uh, we call an order of limited dissemination. It, and what an order of limited dissemination is, it's just an order from the court that states a screening company can't report the eviction action to a potential new landlord. It, it, it's Really? Wow. That, that is something that's been into effect in, in Washington State for a couple of years. It, it does help provide the tenants with, you know, kind of a fresh start. Um, but the future a future credit reporting agency can't report that to a, to a future landlord if that order is in the file. Um, I believe in the now, city of that, Seattle that might be mandatory for any of the evictions coming forward here after the moratorium. Okay. So that's mandatory meaning that, that um, no matter what a, t- a landlord cannot report that um, that's, that's actually, if you own rental property in Seattle, that's actually quite frightening, mm-hmm. you know, because if, if I'm, if I'm renting out my, my home to a prospective tenant, um, I, I need to know that, you know, that their housing history payment is, is acceptable. And, um, I, I, I just there, want to make one clarification here as well. Okay. Though. It's not that the landlord can't report that as an eviction action. It's that a third party screening company can't report it to a future landlord. A landlord okay. can report it as much as they want. It's just it, it prohibits a screening company from reporting that to um, right. a future landlord. Now, what right, I will say is that any thing. landlord I mean, out there can do a, a, a basic Washington court record search, and, and this, this information will be online publicly. It's just mm-hmm. that a screening company can't report it. So let me ask this, though, and, and I realize you may or may not be able to answer it, but – if okay, so due diligence as a landlord, like here's here's some of the best advice we could probably be giving right now is if you have a prospective new tenant coming to you, make sure and call their past landlords because maybe a screening company can't report it, but if you call a past landlord and be like, "Hey, how was your experience with this tenant?" Can that landlord speak to their experience? Absolutely. The order of limited dissemination only limits uh, third party screening. Third party. Okay. Well, a landlord could go to Washington Court Records doc, or Washington Courts, the the, the, the government website where, where mm-hmm. the courts mm-hmm. have all their yeah. all the all the information, and they can search it by name there, and that will pop up. It's just that a screening company can't use it. Gotcha. Well, this wow. is very important information for our listeners who have rental property or who are considering having it be you know mindful of. 
and and definitely doing their due diligence because I have some clients right now who are looking for rental property, specifically in the city of Seattle because they happen to be tech people and they want to be around the center of tech when it finally starts going back to their offices, you know, which is, you know, also hopeful. <laughs> so I'm like, good on you. That, <laughs> Fingers you know, crossed. Yes. Yes. I'm like, I hope you know things I don't know. <laughs> so, um, especially since most of the tech companies I've talked to so far, it's, you know, well, now that we have the rollback, January is probably out of the question. And most of them are like March, May, June, or later for them to be filling back in any of their office space. Right. So, um, oh my gosh, Ryan, this is so interesting. Okay. So we've got situations where people have the means to pay their rent, but aren't. We have obviously those situations that, you know, you, you have to kind of work with that are unfortunate person who has lost job and and some people are about to lose more of them um and trying to figure out how how does a landlord get some help through that so we're going to be trying to find and track down some of those resources for folks i'm um i have a scenario for you that is a little bit of an amalgam of some of these things, but it throws in an international flavor to it that um, we've got about 30 seconds. So we got to get out here into some messaging, but um, I'm going to run this one past you and see if the advice maybe that you would have given uh, matches sort of what mine was so far to this client. So uh, we're going to have the NAFTA of rental situations coming up as soon as we get back from these messages here on Open House with Team Rima with Ryan Weatherstone of Puckett and Redford with us. Open House with Team Rima on AM 1590. The answer. Now back to Open House with Team Rima. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And I'm Reba Haas from Team Reba. Thank you All so right. much. For- Ryan Weatherstone, yeah, from Puckett and Redford. Thank you very much for joining us, Ryan. This has been super, super great information. Yeah. Nope, no problem, no problem. Um, I, I have a feeling this is going to become one of our most listened to shows, <laughs> honestly, Ryan. Um, we should have done this one on Halloween. It's plenty scary, uh, <laughs> some of the things you're talking about here. Yeah, there, um, are, there are some terrifying situations uh, coming up, especially like some of the situations you've described. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out my NAFTA <laughs> situation that I have, okay? So I have a past client of mine who um, – Back in 2006, I helped him buy a a new condo, new construction condo in downtown Seattle. And he has had for the last 14 years the same tenant, right? So, you know, tech is about 13 to 14% of the workforce here in the Seattle area. And when all the uh, coronavirus stuff happened, a good chunk of those tech workers are from out of country. And Many of them chose to go home because Mm -hmm. they did not want to get stranded here, right? And what that meant was there was a lot of high rises in downtown Seattle that, and, and, you know, some that were just apartment buildings uh, built specifically to try and get a lot of these, you know, higher income individuals. But then there's also a lot of condo buildings where just individual units were being rented out and whatnot. And that's that's my client's situation. So like up, upwards of 10% of some of the high rises in downtown are just empty and the belongings of those people are still sitting there because they just left mm-hmm. as quickly as they could. So my client 
he was living here when he bought this unit in 20, uh, 2006, pardon me. And he's originally from Mexico. And he lives in Mexico City. He actually left here. He used to work in finance for Microsoft, went back to Mexico and started a real estate development company because he was really interested in, in more investment and development. And so he's been doing that for many, many years now. And because of COVID, his tenant just happens to be Canadian. And because of coronavirus, um, that had lost their job. And they also had a family member who was ill, so they moved back to Canada. And now this property has been managed by a local property management company, which I will not say their name, although I really want to, because I'm kind of annoyed at them. <laughs> um, because I told him to go back and look at his agreement with this company, because they've been continuing to charge him for property management services every month, even though they have not collected since April any rent. And they have told him... He cannot rent the place back out because the person's belongings are still there. And, but they're doing nothing to help him in this situation. And he called me up because he was like, hey, I think I just need to sell this place. And I went, well, if you've got this going on, I'm not sure I can. And so we started looking into it. And I have turned him over to an attorney uh, to talk about this situation, but my my take on it when I was looking at it as a lay person, of course, um, but I said to him, I'm like, do you know if this person is working? And he came back and said, no, they're not. And I went, well, if they've already gone back to Canada and they don't intend to return, why didn't they just give you notice if they were on month to month? Like that seems goofy that someone's just letting you continue paying their property management fees while they collect absolutely nothing and do nothing and, and suggest nothing. Like, what in the world? Like, can't you just get somebody to contact a person and say, then just give me notice, please? Because they owe over $10,000 to him right now. So one of the situations that we're running into uh, with people who are from different countries is there was I, I believe a lockdown on the borders there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so people who were in Canada got stuck up in Canada and could not come back down to continue to live at their live at their places. What the governor's moratorium states is that it, you can't charge or assess rent for that time period in which a resident's access or occupancy was prevented as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. So mm-hmm. because they had locked down the country or they weren't allowing um, uh, people to uh, to travel back into the U.S. that weren't citizens, uh, that prevented them from, uh, well, it prevented them from uh, coming back into the country. It also prevents a landlord from being able to charge rent for that time period. So the tenant who's up in Canada isn't losing anything right now because he's prevented from coming back down to the country uh, due to COVID, uh, and the landlord can't charge him rent for that time period either. So it it. It's a bit frustrating. There's no... Okay, but that person also lost their job and doesn't intend to come back. And in that type of situation, basically what the management would need to do is to get some type of declaration of abandonment of the right to possess the property. Okay. So if a tenant... There's a couple of different ways to uh, end a tenancy. One is to go through the court process, and the other one is to, you know, if a tenant voluntarily gives up their right to possess the property. Mm Mm-hmm. And... So that's what we've had in some situations where people have maybe been caught out of the country. They are not going to be coming back. 
Um, basically what management needs to do is get something in writing from them stating that mm -hmm. the tenant is abandoning their right to possess the property, and then management can go ahead and store the items for uh, up to 45 days pursuant to the mm -hmm. abandonment statute. Okay. So the thing – my client is hoping to do a 1031 exchange. So I've told him, I'm like, until we get this kind of clarified, I really can't put it on the market, um, which I believe is accurate uh, for me to tell him, I would I would hope. Do you think that that's appropriate in my situation? Uh, if the property is in the city of Seattle. It is. That's even, that's. that's Yay. That's, there's, a whole <laughs> lot of, there's a whole lot to this onion at this point then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to continue following up with him because uh, that was exactly my direction with him was it's if they've abandoned it and they have no intention of coming back and you can get them to tell you that, then it was the storage thing. And I didn't know for how long, but I'm like, I need you to talk to somebody who specializes in this and let's get you moving forward because – you know, yeah, we can help with some resources and, you know, who needs to do what and all of that and, and what have you. Because he wants to 1031 exchange it and get done being here because at least if he gets something down in Texas, because um, he does want to keep investment here in the United States and he wants to take advantage of that tax deferred exchange program of 1031s. Listeners, if you haven't listened before about what those are, we do have past shows that explain what they are and how they work. But, um, you know, he wants something in Texas because it's a five-hour drive for him to be able to at least go check on it. Whereas right now he's like, I can't even get there. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. So, um, okay. All right. Well, I, I have him at an attorney, so that's first and foremost probably the best thing that we can suggest. And I'm going to assume, you know, like Ryan um, – is that always the best first course of action is like, don't go try and decide these things for yourself. Go get some professional assistance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Landlord tenant law is a, is a complicated area of law. Mm -hmm. And I used to, I used to be a tenant advocate for a little bit and I, I used to tell everybody, I've never seen a landlord do it right themselves. Yeah. Without an attorney. And I've never seen a first time attorney bring an eviction action, get it right. Either. Yeah. It really takes a couple yeah. of attempts to go through this. So. Right. Okay. And, Ryan, do you think what's your your prognostication on you know the landlord tenant laws in Seattle seem you know in, in my opinion draconian? Do you see the rest of the region or the rest of the state going the same direction? We're starting to see that a little bit. I believe Auburn passed some new laws here recently that uh, that are pretty restrictive. They have a just cause ordinance like the city of Seattle does. A couple other jurisdictions around here have as well. Um, I disagree with the just cause ordinance. And basically what that means is that you need a just cause in order to terminate a month-to-month -month tenancy. Um, we're starting to see that happen yeah, a little yeah. bit. COVID threw everything into a big uh, whirlwind, though. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we finish out, because we only have just uh, about 15, 20 seconds, Ryan, for anyone who's of the size client that you guys can take on, do you want to give your info real quick? Sure. You can go to PucketRedford.com. Or our phone number is 206-386-4800. All right. Thanks so much for being on with us today. We really, truly appreciate it. Thank you for having yeah, me. Thank you very much, Ryan. And that wraps up another episode of Open House. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to Open House with Team Reba. To contact us, visit Team Reba at Remax Metro Eastside on Facebook. 
or email info at teamreba.com. Join us again next Saturday afternoon at 2 for more Open House with Team Reba here on AM 1590. The answer. The preceding program was sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Homebridge Financial Services.